What time is it? 8 30. <laughs> this latest episode of the Livingston Experience and uh, we're here on a Monday night this time but there's been a lot of really good NBA action over the weekend the all-star teams are announced so Daz and I thought we'd get together and knock out a quick podcast uh, to celebrate all the Livingston Experience moments uh, from the last week that had us up off the couch waving the towels but first Daz how are you on this fine Monday evening? I'm a bit sticky Daz it's a bit humid um, that's maybe a little bit more information than the, our but nine listeners. Actually, I, mean, I, said, I was watching the tennis. I mean, just to go into another sport, I was watching the tennis last night and it was completely different conditions. Uh, I'm not sure if you caught any of the men's final, but hats off to Medvedev and, and Nadal for just the absolute war of attrition that it was down there. And you could almost feel how hot it was through the screen. But as I said, it was a different, that muggy sort of uh, heavy heat that, you, that they probably wouldn't have experienced up until that final. Of course. Yeah, I mean, it's iconic Australian Open men's final, wasn't it? A five-set marathon. Not quite. Wasn't it Nadal Federer a couple of years ago, like a five-and-a-half-hour? Yeah, Nadal. I think it was just under Djokovic. the Nadal. Yeah. I think it was Nadal Djokovic, actually, that went Djokovic, five yeah. hours. This one went five hours. And, and it seemed like every game went to juice. Every rally was 10-plus points. And just two guys just absolutely throwing haymakers at one another. It was a great game of tennis, uh, but I certainly felt for them from the heat. Well, it felt a lot really like um, the the battle between Andrew Wiggins and Rudy Gobert for the final starting spot in the Western All-Star. And obviously the the ultimate champion, um, Andrew Wiggins, won out just as Nadal has won well, out. He got so the- that's what it felt like. I'm sure Nadal got a bit of a leg up from the K-pop stars as well, uh, who got on TikTok and extolled his virtues uh, a little bit like Andrew Wiggins. So, look, I mean, if there was any doubt, Daz, that the All-Star is totally meaningless, All-Star appearances, I think we can put that to bed now. Like, it is completely meaningless. I mean, Zaza Pachulia nearly made it a few years ago, so the Warriors have form in pushing their own players. Um, Yeah, you know, yeah. to these games. Look, it's a bit of fun. I mean, and, and fair play. The Wiggins, he's had a decent, but I wouldn't have put him in the, you know, the starting all-star team either. But we will mention Wiggins later. We, we do have Warriors to turn. Well, let's maybe start with the Warriors, Daz. I mean, because that was one of the Livingston moments for me on the weekend. I love seeing young players and we've seen a number of rookies this year that we've spoken about. And in the last couple of days, there's been a few rookies that have really taken a step up. And one of them was Jonathan Kaminga, known as, of course, as the cum bucket in Golden State. We didn't. (laughs) And I don't know if Golden State have embraced this or people are just sending it out with the Golden State logo on it. I somehow doubt Golden State officially have embraced this, but it's one of the most uh, amazing. (laughs) And and I don't know if it's unfortunate or, or fantastic for Kaminga that they've come up with that as a nickname, but the cum bucket. Well, as he we thought a, Sexland. Yeah, we thought well, Sexland was bad. You know, with Garland. The cum bucket had a coming out party against the <laughs> Mavericks. Uh, yeah, I saw the money shot with that put back dunk. As I saw the money shot, mm. which is going to get him 
get him paid like Ron Jeremy. Man, that that the athleticism, right? Is uh, that's all you need to say? That kid is a freakish athlete. Um, yeah, I saw him flying flying over the court. It was beautiful. Whether he reaches Dirk Diggler levels or not will remains to be seen, I guess. But <laughs> oh, how far can we take this? <laughs> certainly, he laid, he laid it all out there. Um, it wasn't quite Giannis over Tim Hardaway level, but it was a very disrespectful dunk uh in that game but look he his athleticism is off the charts his defense is excellent and speaking about wiggins i mean wiggins defense has been very good as well it says a lot about some of these guys like Kaminga. i think draymond's played brilliantly this year uh and wiggins that golden state still have such a good record with steph shooting as badly as he has done across the year and it also goes to show the value of steph curry even when he's not shooting well to this team and how effective that he is just being on the court and the threat that he always creates and the constant movement uh, that he always creates. And now, of course, Clay Thompson being out there as well. He's had a bit of an up and down start, which you'd probably expect, but he hit the big shot uh, against the Nets as well, does in a game where Wiggins was the best player on the court uh, against the Nets. Uh, on the weekend. So two good wins for the Warriors. But what have what have you made of them overall? I mean, my sort of feeling with the Warriors, final point I'll make, I think they've missed one there with um, Duarte in Indiana. That's the player I would have loved to have seen them take in that moody spot because Duarte actually lit them up himself uh, when Indiana went into Golden State, missing a lot of players and actually pulled out a win there. And Duarte, you talk about best players on the court for a night, that was him. I would love to have seen Duarte be the guy because Moody may very well be good in a year or so's time, but he certainly looks too raw to contribute in a playoff run this year. Yeah, that and um, although, you know, taking a swing at a Moody like that, you can understand because they kind of got a Duarte-like player and Jordan Poole, different skill set. Poole probably more of a scoring instinct, Duarte more of that, yeah, kind of the glue guy and just a high IQ kind of guy. So I hear you. Um, but yeah, what I guess obviously what stood out for me is just um, not quite at the clay level, but the, as one who suffered many quite severe knee injuries, you love to see clay come back. Um, you almost couldn't oversell or overhype him coming back. So he's been back for a couple of weeks now, hasn't he? And well, it's, uh, funny, it's nice to see him on clay, does. Mm-hmm. His yeah. shot looked better to me than what it did. He's, I, I think he's been working on the shot even more since he left it's it's just such a little flick now if you watch the shooting motion it really is a, the perfect jump shot i'd even put it better you know what i love my michael Carter, sorry michael porter jr not michael Carter williams michael porter jr jump shot I'd, I'd put it in that level i think he's he, he's become uh, and he's always been a great jump shooter by the numbers but just by, by looking at it it's just such a beautiful stroke at the moment well and it's just so freaking compact right where Durant's is that elegant, silky thing, but Clay is almost the opposite. He's just a wide base. He doesn't really elevate that much. It's not quite a set shot. He does got a bit of spring in him, but it's just such that my mechanics are so simple. And so I'm trying to get Monty to <laughs> Monty to watch a lot of Clay Thompson videos. Like, Monty, <laughs> if you're gonna play ball, just shoot like this kid, this kid Thompson. But um, yeah, so of course, yeah, but you know, he's up to what about 25. 25, 28 minutes a game he's playing now. So really rapidly they've ramped him up, Daz, which I thought is, you know, they trust the medical staff. It seems aggressive, but it's pretty awesome to see that he's, you know, 
playing 25, 26 minutes a night. And yeah, it's, it, it's the volume is there and the confidence is there, which I suppose you didn't, ex didn't expect him uh, to be sheepish and shying away from the moment. It's Clay frickin' Thompson, but it's, you just never know right after two, what was like 800 days or something like that, 900 days away from basketball, whatever the number is, the crazy amount of time. So that's what stood out for me. And to your point where you actually began was that you said when Steph's even kind of at a low efficiency, the way he is now similar with Clay is, you know, you're chasing Clay, right? The defense is chasing him out at every, you know, 35, 35 feet out, which opens up space for guys like a Jonathan Kaminga who can just make a read, make a simple cut, right? Um, hit a back screen, you know, shoot baseline, uh, chase down offensive rebounds, and just use basic decision-making and his extreme athleticism to make contributions. Um, much in the way they've geniusly used Gary Payton II or GP3 or GP4, whatever rank he stands. You know, they've got a terrific athlete who can play defense and um, put him in the dunker spot, you know, stuff like that. So uh, it's been fun to watch. I got to say, it's been bloody fun to watch even a low efficiency uh, stuff Warriors team. Um, Hand it to James Harden. Yeah, that was that's always a highlight, Des. <laughs> well, the Mitten has hit some big shots this year, Des. I mean, that's another guy that was was went through that back system. He went through a number of different teams. I mean, everyone always knew he had the defense. Mm. And I think the Warriors, I sort of had the mm. sense the Warriors only kept him around because he was the only guy that could make Steph Curry work in, in workouts. Um, the, I can't remember the guy's name, but there was a guy that used to sit on the end of the the Bulls bench for many years in, in Jordan's days. And they said the only reason that he was on the roster was because he uh, he could guard Jordan. And it wasn't Cliff Livingston, I can assure you of that. Pete Myers, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yes. And he, and Someone he like that, rarely, yeah. Very rarely played, but he was a brilliant defender. And I, and I got the sense similarly um, with, with Gary Payton. But then he'd come in and he's shooting you know, nearly 40% from three for a while there. I think he's had a dip recently. But uh, he's, he's been shooting the ball well and hitting some big shots down the stretch. So I think the interesting guy to watch with this team is Jordan Poole in terms of what his role is going to be going forward with this team now that Clay's back. Is he the guy that sort of gets pushed down the picking order a little bit, which you'd probably expect may happen. Uh, but it depends, I guess, when they go to those small... He has, yeah. Who's the fourth yeah. guy? I just, I just happen to... I track Poole because I had him in, in fantasy, so I happen to see his usage is taken a bit of a hit yeah his, his attempts are down but uh that doesn't mean he's any less important a guy like that that's that's a classic guy who's made kind of a leap in this third season and proved he can kind of scale up a bit which can get you through a, a seven game you know first round seven you know five or six game series if clay has to sit one or two you know you got that scoring punch that you can rely on if you know if clay is not firing so um but yeah i think they'll they'll take you know, this uh, this already been kind of a win in terms of a Jordan Poole development year with or without big play Thompson minutes. Yeah, and look, and the final point on the Warriors, I mean, Steve Kerr, if there was any doubt on what a great coach Steve Kerr is, I think we can put that to bed this year. Uh, he, he's done a fantastic job with this team and has to be. Well, I think he's probably not going to be quite in that conversation. There's so many great coaching efforts going on this year, but he probably should be in that conversation for coach of the year. But that being said, though, I think if you if you gave him three Hall of Famers and Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, and Russell Westbrook, <laughs> and he lost a bunch of games, he's then a really really bad coach and should be run out of town. That's what I think about Steve Kerr. You know, if you give him a bunch of Hall of Famers and 
were age 38. Uh, sorry, I can't help but pick on the Lakers, Daz, like that clown well, car. Anyway. We can sorry. move to the Lakers. Let, let's move to the Lakers, but we're going to look at the Lakers and the Celtics through the prism of the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks are on fire at the moment, Daz. And yeah. Trey Young has probably been the best. You know, we talk player of the week, et cetera, in the league. Uh, he's certainly been the player of the last week. He's just absolutely on fire for the Hawks. And you get, I mean, I'm getting a sense this team's ready to go on another run similar to what they did last last time because it's not been an easy draw. I mean, they've beaten the Heat, they've beaten the Bucks, they've beaten the Celtics, they've beaten the Lakers. And, and we can sort of say, yeah, Lakers and Celtics in particular struggled a little bit, but they're still not easy boots on the schedule, particularly the way the Hawks were playing. Uh, and, and he's been outstanding. If he, if he sort of morphs into the best player in the league for a short stretch uh, and, he, and the other guys around him start playing well, Collins is looking better. I just think that reddish trade has freed up this, ro this rotation to go, okay, we know who our guys are now. We know how we want to play night to night. And it's, and it's almost a, just a relief for them um, that they're, they're moving forward. I mean, Kevin Knox has played spot minutes here and there. He hasn't been a massive part of this. And Bogdanovich uh, has looked good as well. But I might get you to talk me through what you saw with the Celtics game. Uh, and then I'll, I'll sort of uh, talk what we're going to do with the Lakers. And maybe we'll, we'll keep it Livingston to first thing. We'll just talk about Atlanta and the positives. And then we'll, we'll head into the upside down and we'll go anti-Livingston and have a bit of a laugh at the Celtics and Lakers side of things. Good. Yeah. So look, I would watched the Celtics and, and, and Hawks and what's the phrase, the, the style makes the fight or the mm. contrast makes the fight. And that for me is what that game is all about, where you see, you see Trey young, who is a probably even a still underrated passer, just the sharpness that he delivers the timing, the everything. He's an elite, elite passer. Right. And you see that ball whipping around and you got spot Gallo spotting up and Bogger spotting up and getting open 18 footers and Collins with putbacks and Collins on the short roll, that little teardrop he can do from about 10, 12 feet out, which he seems to shoot 70% on. It's just, he just gets everyone in their spots. Right. It's not just only him and his elite scoring and he's still got his freaking antics. There's still a little bit in him, Daz, that kind of, you know, the Harden esque throw his body into people but I, you can see that I think there's that's that's paired back but that's what you see in the Hawks is it's um it's that and speed to love them to play at pace and then you watch the ball get on the other end and it's just I don't know Brad Stevens and Udoka um you still play your turn my turn with Jalen Brown and and Jason Tatum you know and you hear the national media bark about how amazing these each one of them can go off for 50 on a night which has happened yeah, but, um, you know, that just they do not play like a team. They look a bit like everything's just difficult for them. They don't really have a lot of speed. They don't really have a ton of athleticism like this. They're meant to be this vaunted defense with Robert Williams and, and Smart and, you know, two-way Tatum and 10-time Tatum and two-way Brown. And just you'd expect them to play a little bit more. God, how about this for the upside down? play tough the way the freaking Jason kids got the Dallas Mavericks playing defense does. Yes. They're like three or number three or number four in the league. So I go, that's what you expect. Right. But no, the Boston just plays this 10 minutes of brilliance, then 10 minutes of lethargic play. And then your turn, my turn. It's just, it just does not work. I don't need lots of X to O's, and anyone who watches them play says, you know harmony when it happens and they have no harmony 
on the floor there. Yeah, so that's what I see stylistically. Two teams who are just so stylistically wired differently by their by their leaders. And then a little p- a finer point, one underrated um, probably aspect of the Hawks resurgence dads or this turnaround is DeAndre Hunter. He just changes, he just sort of finishes that team where I think you said like, the, you know, addition by subtraction with Cam Redditch and his clutch sports attitude, you know, wants to be the man. All right, off you go, Cam, you know, go be the man. Um, but in his place is just this rugged two-way wing who's got an almost, not quite, but, you know, a, a Kawhi Leonard-like body about him, right? It's just a, he is so freaking strong, DeAndre Hunter. He's finding his stroke pass, and you've got that solid wing you can rely on for 38 minutes a night, right? That allows, you know, Collins Capella to play, you know, um, their spots, depending on the matchups at the five or in the four and the five. And then whoever's got the hot hand in the backcourt between, you know, Herder or, or Gallo or um, um, whoever else back there, that's now you look like the, the Hawks from the end of last year, but they're, they're still quite a sieve on defense. Daz. That's still, mm. that's still an issue. Like they're not very good rebounding team, but there's something about DeAndre Hunter that at least gives them a chance to be, you know, um, to be a, have a little bit of dog on them on the defensive end. So yeah, they're um, just they're very yeah. soft on D. I mean, they don't get yeah. contested rebounds. They're not very good at. You know, there's too many of their players that just die on on screens and things like that. They've just got to get that that little bit mentally tougher and and into the fight on the defensive end and be willing to sort of get physical. And I don't know. I mean, that's where a guy you bring in a guy like even the PJ Tucker or. You know, a Kyle Lowry. I mean, I'm not yeah. throwing names out there. They're not going to get, but those sort of guys are just going to bring an attitude uh, towards defense. And Hunter's done that a little bit, but he's obviously only what in, in year three of his career. So it could be an interesting buyout market for them when you're looking at okay, who are the guys available and who might be able to bring a bit of a defensive intensity uh, to this team that they just have not had um, to this point in the season. Yeah, maybe it's a body like a Fad Young or it's a, you know, a Tory Craig type who can just, you know, expect a lot of offense from, can give you 18, 20 minutes, at least make life difficult. On I mean, a, I wonder you know, if a Stephen Adams instead of Capella would be better for this team to just say, look, give us a guy that's just going to, mm-hmm. you know, crash the boards, get those contested rebounds um, and, and just play with a bit of physicality on that end of the court that we, they just don't seem to have beyond Hunter. Well, I can almost guarantee that if Memphis continues their play, they're not going to give up a guy like that. Where you, no. I think it's a good point. You know, two months ago, I'm like, yeah, of course. I think we all probably thought that that was an odd trade for Memphis, right? The Valanciunas for for Steven Adams. That's actually worked out pretty well. Um, as Adams just knows his role, doesn't he? It's really smart for player. But yeah, you're right. Just an interior toughness and a ruggedness that um, they they need to probably add. If they want to battle a Giannis or an Embiid, you know that being said, they eliminated the Sixers last year, so um, that, that's that's maybe where this um, this roster building for Schlenk down there is a is a tricky one. But we talked a bit about them before, though. I think we still want them to kind of we wondered about them maybe trying to go too fast with this roster and doing this, you know, the Bogdanovich and Gallo and Lou Williams types of stuff. Did they try to go too fast around Trey, so. We'll see what Schling does if it's just kind of see what he's got with Herder and Hunter and how this kind of 
that's, that's I guess they need to find a closing five. Daz is really I guess what he's trying to find out here. Well, they might have found something today with a Kongwu, uh, admittedly only yeah. game, but he had a massive last quarter. They were down ten heading in the last quarter, beat the Lakers by uh, I think nineteen in the last quarter, ended up winning it by nine, and he was just dominant. And Trey Young was basically just look Lakers pick your poison. Right, you're going to bring AD out on me on the screen, leave him on me, fine. I'm just going to throw lobs up to a Kongwu. And of course, the Lakers had no one to protect the rim because uh, AD was away from the rim. If AD is going to drop back, I'll take on the player one-on-one and hit a three in his face or someone else is going to hit a three. And that sort of was the way they just approached that last quarter. And at times, you could see AD didn't know where to come out. He was just sort of caught in no man's land a couple of times uh, up near the free throw line because he didn't quite know whether to go out, come back, where to be. And before you know it, there was one vicious dunk. And it was actually a really nice... You talk about Livingston moment, as They had... Um, two of the greatest in-game dunkers of all time, Dominic Wilkins and Vince Carter in the Hawks <clears> commentary. <throat> and they're there for Kongwu just ripping this. Uh, it was one of those, have you seen the dunk? Because it was one of those alley-oops which no. thrown a little bit off and he's just got to catch it behind his head and cock it back and just vicious dunk. I think it was on Paul Malik Monk who was playing, basically forced into a small ball centre role because AD's out in no man's land. And uh, it was just like Camilo Anthony had to look away. It was like someone committed a crime on the court. And then they show Vince Carter and uh, and Dominique just lapping it up uh, as part of the whole commentary. So it was a it was a, a good moment in the game for that. That's a good point. Yeah, he's up to he's averaging you know twenty three minutes a game and he's getting some run now. Yeah, and he's sort of something's not right about Clint Capella. I don't know if it's role, if it's health. If it's age, yeah, I'm not I don't sure know what's he, going on with Capella, but it's just Capella. I mean, he's trailing off, isn't he? Yeah, he's just yeah. not. It's not a force anymore. You just don't feel him. Yeah, no, and it, it almost feels like he just didn't fill into his body either the way you would would want him to. We talk about physicality, and he seems to sort of maybe the injuries are piling up because he seems to sort of recoil from physicality and not want to be playing as physical. Whereas a Kongwu just got out there, particularly today, and he's almost looking for the contact and and attacking the rim, uh, the way you yeah. guy in Capella's role to do. So that is that is the one area because they like those sort of rim running centers, uh, and that is the area that they might be able to to either through a trade or potentially. I'm, I'm not sure if anyone's going to be uh, effective enough or impactful enough in that buyout market to make a difference for them. But certainly. A nice, they're, they're back. They're only a game below five hundred now, Daz. Uh, they could start looking yeah. above them on on the ladder in the East Conference because there's a few teams, including I might add your Bucks, that are starting to slide down the rankings. Yeah. A bit and you know, they sure it's are. Not how you start, it's how you finish. And and Atlanta might say, you know what, we come on, you know, with a great run last year, uh, and you know that I think they'd be looking around the conference at the moment and saying, we're not scared of any of these teams. We, we think we, we're as good as any of those terms in the East Conference, but obviously they've just got to improve that record a little bit. So they're going to be a really fascinating team, I think, to watch in the next few months to see if they can continue this run uh, that they're on. But let's let's flip the script a bit. So you talked a little bit about the Celtics. I know you wanted to talk me through that as one of the great plays that you saw. I mean, you talk about effort, and it's not always there for the Celtics, but it was particularly uh, not there on this play. 
uh, it's just it's so iconic. It was a pretty close game, right? Pretty pretty competitive game for the most part. Um, and the but the Hawks been on a bit of a run in the third quarter. They got built like a you know kind of built the lead up to about fourteen points. He's starting to that point right. Okay, you need you Tatumans and Browns to kind of s- stabilize things, right? Get a couple of buckets and keep it in in shouting range. And instead, what you saw is about halfway through the third quarter. It's just Anaki was sort of played as and Tatum's on the left, kind of the left wing elbow area by the three-point line. And someone's running like a, you know, coming up for, to the high post. I don't even remember who it was. And he just casually threw a behind-the-back pass, like to the nail, like where there's like, I don't know, six players in 12 arms. And it, the ball gets picked off and it goes the other way. But Atlanta kind of cocks up and it kind of fumbles the pass. It was like a three-on-one kind of break and they kind of cocked it up um, but eventually they kind of passed it around and eventually managed to draw a foul at least get something out of it but because they they stumbled on the transition um, you could have easily stopped the play but Tatum decided he didn't want to run back on defense after he threw his behind the back pass <laughs> to the nail and you don't want to like okay it's a bit fun to pick on the Celtics and you know 10-time Tatum um, but man, just what? Like, I, I get, you know, don't judge a man on his worst day sort of thing. And he'd been having a terrible game. He was like two for 11 or something like that to that point. He'd been, you know, whinging to the refs. He had a bunch of free throws. They just, one of those games where he just wasn't fighting through contact and just the body language was pretty bad, Daz. And that that sort of play goes, Man, oh man, oh man! When that's your leader, that's your leader mm. who does that. That well, I don't think that does. is their leader. I mean, the point is who is who is the leader of that team? It's not Tatum. It's not Brown. It, it probably it, it, Smart wants to be, but he's not a good enough player. And a lot of times, you wonder if Smart should even be on the court uh, in crunch time in some of these games. This is just a rudderless ship at the moment. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, and again, you wonder who is the leader, what style are they trying to play? It, it just seems like as soon as the going gets tough, it's like we're just going to go ISO. And you see it, you mainly see it with young teams more than anything. But I'm telling you, Daz, I watch a bit of, you know, you know I watch a lot of the close games. And I've seen Orlando, for example, in a lot of close games this year. And they execute much better in close games than what the Celtics do, despite the talent gap uh, between the two teams. So it really does come down to a mentality that you're building throughout the entire organisation, but as well as having some of that veteran leadership. And you sort of look at this team and think, you know, even Al Horford's the veteran there, but is he really a leader? Not really that sort of a personality. I'm wondering, again, this is a team that you'd love to bring in some sort of a, a... some, not even someone that's necessarily going to be on the court, but just someone that's going to maybe pull things together off the court. I mean, you've got guys, you know, some of their so-called bets that aren't playing are guys like, you know, Ennis Freedom Cantor, who's more interested in, you know, getting in the Twitter booths with LeBron James uh, and carrying on with the nonsense that he carries on with away from the court uh, rather than actually, you know, getting in and, and trying to make the team better. Yeah, it's like almost nowhere to begin with the problems with the Celtics. Is I mean, if Tatum's not your leader, you, your leading scorer kind of needs to be your leader. And if he's not, you need you know he needs to be a 
someone that can help make the team better and he just doesn't do that either so they've got those those are obvious problems the, the other sort of just mind mind numbing um aspect if you're a celtics fan is you watch Kyrie come and go and kemba come and go and now they got dennis Schroeder. you know there's this obsessed with having score first point guards right like um that certainly isn't working in terms, I would of, have in terms of a model. Said, you know what? I'm not sure if I mentioned this to you offline uh, or, or on the pod, but I would have almost said, let's see if we can bring Rajon Rondo back in and just see if he'll do a Lance Stevenson type of thing and we'll give him a new environment. What do you got to lose? I mean, this season is going down the tank the way it is now. Um, you know, it, it couldn't be any worse if, if Rondo comes in. I mean, if he comes in and starts causing problems you cut him anyway but he's the type of player that's well, where he's passed first you know he, he doesn't play a lot of defense but he can uh, when, when his mind's on the job uh, and maybe he would he would embrace you know the role of playing the veteran coming back to this team uh, where he had so much success I think that's a, a notion if you believe that you know Tatum is a top seven top 10 player who can take you to like a, you know, Eastern conference finals. And yeah, I know they kind of got there a few years ago. Right. I, I do. I do. I do remember that, but um, it seems to be an aberration, right? This is not like a, you know, he's not like a Giannis or an Embiid who can just. Yeah, but I mean, the bubble, the bubble team was legit. I mean, that, that bubble team, we sort of thought they went toe to toe with Miami. I mean, yes, the buck shit the bed. Um, which which no one sort of expected at the time, and you wonder now looking back if it doesn't go into the bubble and all the stuff that happens, the, the Milwaukee sort of come through that a bit better. But even if Milwaukee beat Miami, it would have been Milwaukee Boston. I mean, Boston were I think legitimately the second best team in the Eastern Conference that year. I just can't get my head around just how badly it's gone since then, and it seems to be that you know Tatum is Tatum in particular has regressed, but J- Jalen Brown's become weak. Andrew Wiggins does. I mean, this is a guy that puts up 26 points, two rebounds, one assist. These are the sort of numbers. He's got the same assistance at the turnover ratio in his entire career. So he's not complete. You, you can't overlook Jalen Brown's part of this either. The fact that neither of them have developed the key part of the game that they need to develop from there, which was their playmaking. Yeah, I think they are who they are, right? That's what I think. It's, that's maybe what I was trying to get at is that um, they're not Joel Embiid or Giannis, where you can just get enough parts and, or they're not even obviously not Kevin Durant, right? Where you just get some supporting parts and you could pretty well, if you just get some average injury luck, you can you're going to be Eastern Conference Finals capable. That's why I think this team needs a lot to go right for that to happen, Daz. And so that for me is the biggest question with Boston is they don't have a number one good enough to win a title, Daz. They don't hmm. and if they're a, they're, they're a franchise like this right well they have i forget they hang all the banners right like this is not a franchise that's going to accept a decade of you know of you know second round playoff exits right but i don't know if they also have the temerity the stomach i certainly have, i would very highly doubt brad stevens has the stomach to trade jalen brown or uh, jason tatum but that for me has got to be a very real question is do you have a number one on the team to even think about being a title contender to worry about a conversation like, Hey, maybe a Rondo can, 
help bring this thing together, right? So I think the Rondo type thing, just not to pick on that, but to go, that's if you think you're just one little tweak away from having yourself a contender and they just don't, they don't have the ceiling. Oh, and so that for I'm, me is I'm the real- about bring Rondo in the steady the ship and actually get him into the playoffs. I'm not talking about bring Rondo in. <laughs> oh, right. Contender. Okay, fair enough. Like they're a, mild, they're, enough. they're a yeah. long way away from being a contender, but this is just, this is train wrecks time, Daz. Like this is- yeah, just, what? You compound that with they held on like they clutched their pearls all these years with being too cool for school and trying to have all these first round picks and nothing happened, right? And then they go get a guy like Aaron Neesmith and they don't ever play him, right? Another year, maybe he's no good. Maybe he can't play. Um, Romeo Langford's a brust. Grant Williams is a bust, right? Peyton Pritchard has had a massive regression. Don't know what's wrong with him. You know, he, he doesn't get much playing time. He can barely seize the floor, right? He can't shooting like 30% from two-point land is something, something dreadful. Al Horford's on his last legs. Dennis Schroeder's just hoping not to get injured to get a, get a paycheck, right? It's just, where's their ass? There's no internal development left as, right? Robert Williams, I think, will be a serviceable player. He's all right. Like, he'll be, he could be an average NBA center. Yeah, but I go, that's it. Like, all these first-round picks, none of them hit. And um, that's for me is if, again, you're trying to... Well, and getting nothing, bit. having Kyrie and Gordon A would go up in a puff of smoke and literally getting nothing out of either player and then getting nothing in return for either player um, was, was a major problem as well. Um, well, just, how about, yeah, I was going to say, how about losing the, the Terry Rozier trade, right? Well, that's it. I mean, look, I, I wouldn't criticise them for that, but that's the sort of thing that, that goes wrong when it starts going wrong. It can it can go completely wrong, and then the Kem, Kemba Walker, who essentially replaced Kyrie, and then the Gordon Hayward part of it, um, there's problems there. So, Daz, last point on the Celtics, where do you think they should go from here? I mean, from a big picture point of view, where do you where do you think they should go, and where do you see that they will go? I think they've got some really um, look in the mirror type things probably to do. I don't think they're going to do anything drastic here at the trade deadline, right? I don't think there's any point in that. Like they're not one player away. Yeah, they, they, I think as I was mentioning um, before the break there, they don't really have a couple of guys to consolidate to move and get a really big impact player anyway. Like you're not gonna get much of a, you know, what can you really get if you try to package Horford smart and a pick, you know, what, you know, try to do a three for one deal, probably taking back some bad money. I just don't think that's smart. So I don't, I think we're gonna see them do tweaks here at the deadline. What more is where kind of what I was saying before is that when you're a head coach and then you move up into the front office like Brad Stevens, you've got a different relationship with your players and you're perhaps less likely to view them as assets, you know, and more as human beings and, you know, guys he's literally kind of, you know, quote unquote, gone to war with. And so I think they've got some real big kind of medium term questions if um, they're still assessing as Tatum and Brown as this elite wing two way duo that just needs to be unlocked you're going to need a really, really clear, probably big overhaul to figure out one, what types of roles they need to be in Two, then what types of offense needs to unlock these two guys who are individually talented, but the whole isn't greater than the sum of the parts. What is that? What's your vision for that? And then three, right? Look at what sort of coach is going to help you do that. Um, to say Udoka has been off to a rough start is an understatement. I think we mentioned this last time when the, a new coach is in the media talking about players, energy and effort. Um, and kind of not throwing them under the bus, but not not throwing them under the bus. Mm. That smells like a coach who's insecure. You know, it smells a lot like Jason Kidd in his last year with Milwaukee. 
types of stuff, yeah? Really evasive about things and saying kind of the media, I told you so, don't look at me, look at the players. I think that sort of topped it down as they've got a real hard assessment to do. And you don't do that at a deadline. You don't switch, you know, flick that switch. I have a feeling it's going to be, a, you know, probably a big retool in the offseason, probably firing Udoka would be my guess, probably then some type of consolidation trade or trades. Um, I don't think they've got the guts to trade a Brown or Tatum, uh, nor do I probably even even think that's a right thing to do. It's so hard to get value back, right? Unless you're just so dramatically changing a style, like I'm just throwing a name out there. Right? You don't just, you don't trade Jalen Brown for Carl Anthony Towns, right? You don't just, those trades don't happen of, you know, 25 year old kind of all-star caliber players. It just doesn't happen unless you've got two really disgruntled individuals. And so I think that's more likely what they're going to do is probably remove Udoka and probably do a bunch of cleaning out of this, probably the, the 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 spots of the roster would be my guess. You know, cut bait on Langford, cut bait on Grant Williams, you know, maybe play Pritchard and Neesmith next year, but they just got to cut and get some different, something different in this in the roster as well does so that's what i think they're more likely to do and probably give it one more go with a different coach and a different offense and a different different system and different structure for them give it a season next year and then make you know perhaps bigger types of questions around do you move tatum or brown so far be it for me to say it's like i just i still be they play the positions that are still so coveted albeit these two aren't alphas on championship caliber teams it's just not i still think you don't you don't just you just don't make trades like that for a whatever for a cat for a mm. you know you don't trade jalen brown for devin booker this just doesn't happen so that's why i'm that's what i think they should yeah i mean a nice it. player that for them to bring in if they could ever get him healthy would be a malcolm brogdon type that that'd be a guy I think that might be able to bring this to, this team together, but uh, yeah, again, I don't think that's lifting him up into the contending level, but it's certainly lifting him up a rung from where they are at the moment. Yeah, uh, and, and maybe he's gettable, and maybe you say, look, let's take a chance, and hopefully they can have a healthy season. But uh, his health's yeah. been all over the shop again, sadly but this year for the Pacers. Just my just the final point, just I guess as a just a juxtaposition with what they're faced with and their competition in the East, right? As you know, they're kind of up and down, but young ascending Hawks are going to be a menace for the next half a decade while Trey is, you know, learns the craft, right? We've seen Giannis turn from gangly kid to, right, brute force to, right, of um, a very good, right, playmaker and a very willing distributor. And a, right, he has the, the mentality when he needs to, right, right, let Chris Middleton win in crunch time. Him and he, you know, play off ball, right? When your alpha is like that, who develops the playmaking, creates a culture of, you know, of, of sharing and egalitarianism, even the way Embiid has, right? Embiid's been actually quite selfless in the way he's played. And you'll hear him say every, go back and check his pressers from the last few years, right? He's like, don't, don't come at me for, for bitching at me for taking three pointers. I take them because I have to. Right, he's actually a that guy has developed in a lot of ways, and he's playing mm -hmm. at an elite, elite level, right? Where there's just you see him improving his gravity and with the right mentality to play for his teammates, and the ability then to set his teammates up. You know, you see them doing that. You just do not see that coming from Brown or Tatum. They're barely average passers with probably the wrong mentality, and that's why I think that 
really, really hard critical analysis behind cold, closed doors might suggest that, that maybe they do need to, if they had the chutzpah, but I just don't think if Brad Stevens has the, the chutzpah to do that, is probably a clinical sort of critical look at like if a Daryl Morey became a, ahead of that team, he'd probably find a way to turn Jalen Brown and a bunch of picks into a true alpha. So Jason Tatum can be, you know, score 30 points a game as the number two. Like that's probably what that franchise really needs. I just don't see um, Stevens doing it. Anyway, that's a well, bit do, of a I guess to sum up that, they knew the Giannis and, and Tatum will be the Middleton uh, because Tatum's never going to be the Giannis. Uh, yeah, but, that's it. That's, I mean, it's I think not a number. It, the yeah, final even, point, I mean, just to sort of bring it, bring it around full circle, I mean, I think it's the paths not taken with this team you look back on. And that's where mm. you go, you know, so, signing Kyrie and then that sort of goes south. But then you get you choose Kemba over Terry Rozier. That's a wrong choice. You know, you don't get anything back for Gordon Hayward. Then you get Fournier. You know, you sort of use him for a bit, then then he's gone. So now they don't even have lot. They literally have nothing out of that whole roster spot. And of course, when you capped out, that's what that's why Golden State was so smart, in my opinion, for doing that trade for D'Angelo Russell. Even though Russell didn't work out, you've got that contract on your books over and above the the salary cap, and then you can move it for a guy like Wiggins that, even though he's on a bad contract, makes more sense to your team and can then contribute. Whereas the Celtics weren't even able to do that with that Gordon Haywood contract and ended up just going up in a puff of smoke. So they're the sort of things, and it's easy to second guess and, and hindsight's twenty twenty. but that's the thing. The more you look at this team, you think it's the paths not taken um, with this team. That, that's Very going to good point. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's a very similar field as to the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, it, it would, I think we're going to look back on the construction of this roster for this year and think it's the path not taken where why you didn't just keep the team together that you had last year that were favourites to win the title until Anthony Davis got hurt and LeBron sort of picked up um, that ankle injury. They were favourites to go and win the title again. It went apart because their two superstars couldn't stay healthy. And then they go and basically blow up the entire team, keep the two superstars, but then fill it in with all these old guys who... As we said last time, you know, Charles Barkley says it would have been a great roster in 2010. I don't want to re. I don't want to go over that again, but just to sort of hit, hit that nail on the head one more time. LeBron's now out with a left knee problem, um, and and Anthony Davis has come back, has looked okay in terms of putting up numbers, but he's not good enough on his own to bring this roster home. The one thing you need when you're getting aging superstars is depth. It's not an, it's not other superstar, other guys that think, oh, I can be a superstar for a game. And I think I get the sense that's what they were thinking, putting this roster together. The more I look at it, they were thinking Malik Monk's a guy that can score 33 points. He scored 33 points today in a loss. You know, Camelo Anthony can get hot. We saw Russ last year got hot for basically the entire sort of last third of the season and, and lifted the Wizards into an unlikely sort of playoff berth. I think they were thinking if, if they're out, we need someone that can be a superstar for a night. They don't necessarily need to do it for a year, but they need to do it for spot nights here and there. And I'll be just a different guy that gets hot with LeBron or AD in those times where I think you just need just solid, consistent play across the board, backing up Le LeBron and AD like they got when they won the title in the bubble. And I think they've sort of gone the other way and thought we, we need guys... I guess we need guys with a higher ceiling. We talk floor and ceiling a lot. 
I think they thought we need guys with a higher ceiling with this team rather than those guys with the high floor. And I think it's been a really, and not to mention the sort of defense offense, which we talked about last week, but I think that's where they've really gotten it wrong with this team because they've sort of misjudged how high the ceiling is on some of these guys for starters, but also even if it was as high as they thought it was, we saw Malik Monk did it today and it's still not good enough to get him over the line against the Hawks. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're just depressing. It's, it, I mean, do you think a, that's, that, that was... It's just thing, a... No? Do you sort of... I, it's so hard to... I think there's part of it, yeah. I also think they had this... Um, they were really good on defense and decided they didn't want to be good on defense anymore. That's why I just don't understand why they decided to try and, I think, double down on offensive talent like Kendrick Nunn, like Malik Monk. So clearly that's shooting. Carmelo Anthony will be spaking for nothing but a spot-up shooter, right? They're going to give big minutes and change the roster even before you go and add Russell Westbrook, right? You've got, you can see what they did was just to get shooting, just shooting, that's the only skill they brought in, basically. But shooting with no passing, with injury history, with no ability to defend, and no one who can do more than one thing. They just gotten, they just are a, a, a really, really old, slow team who, unless LeBron is there to orchestrate everything for the shooters, they're bad at NBA basketball, right? This roster needs LeBron playing like LeBron's playing. And so with no, um, I think still the, the record is still probably mostly a function of Anthony Davis missing a bunch of time, not all entirely, because they've had all kinds of problems. Well, it's now LeBron, I, Tom. I mean, I think it's LeBron and Ada. That's right. Both of them yeah. there to win games. If they're both there you and do. two games, which was never going to happen, but even if they play 72 but games. But that's right. This yeah. is probably a maybe even a 50-win team. You know, but at no start, but I think they put well, a 51 team who doesn't scare anybody anymore, right? That's the thing. Like, it's just there's nothing about this roster. It's so hard well, to see. I think they put this roster see. together thinking LeBron and AD are going to miss time. And that's what makes it even worse, I think, because they've just totally misjudged what you need to put around guys that are going to miss time. And I, I yeah. want a solid. NBA rotation guys that know their role, that they're going to come in and not put up a stinker. It's no good having Malik Monk come out there and score 33 when Camilla Anthony goes one for 10 or whatever it might be. Yeah, and that's the problem. You got all these heaps. Well, Malik Monk, Carla for Anthony and Kendrick Nunn couldn't defend, right? They can't defend your Smith on a good day. They're terrible defenders, mm. terrible defenders. And I go, that's why I think they also made a conscious choice just to go all offense, number one. Number two, I think they also just said, hey, look, we're the Lakers. Our ultimate franchise building tool is our weather. And so, um, therefore, we can just dump Montrez Harrell. We can dump right, Kyle Kuzma. We can dump KCP. We can dump Caruso because we can get, re we think those are replacement level players and we can get replacement level players for cheaper. That's what I think fundamentally they thought they could do, Daz, is I think they're being clever by doing a consolidation trade, right, to get Westbrook, I think they thought at the same time, yeah, a Monk, a Nunn, a Trevor Ariza, a Wayne Ellington, whomever else is on this roster, they're every bit as good as those guys. And guess what? They're not anywhere close mm. to the ability, particularly KCP and Caruso have completely changed 
the personality of this team. Now, Frank Vogel had, right, two mother-in-law defenders, right? You know, they're not quite Drew Holiday level, but they were fucking tough defenders, right? That allowed LeBron to rest and AD to roam and play the way AD can play, like Giannis, which is a terrific um, health defender and rim protector, and allowed them to roam, right? And that's what they've given up. They do not have that anymore. And so they get constantly punctured on defense. They're constantly chasing. The rotations are constantly, they're constantly chasing. And when an old team with low levels of athleticism are chasing, right, they're going to be, they're just going to get run off the court. And we've seen time and time again. I forget what, this was even a couple of weeks ago, Des, but it's hard not to bring it back up. But it was, they, they were losing the fast break. Um, was, it to your, was it to your Spurs? Who was I watching? Anyway, it was like 24 fast break, fast break points to zero for the Lakers. That's what happens. They can't, they, they're clumsy on defense, right? So they get pierced. And when they don't score on offense, they're, they're slow to get back. And they can't create any easy buckets for themselves in transition because they got none of that. None of that defenders creating easy offense for them the way that a Caruso and KCP could. So it's just flawed construction and a double down with lack of athleticism, tripled down with the really old, quadrupled down with, they got a lot of one skill players, right? They don't even have the, the Pat Connaughton type players who are kind of good at everything, right? They don't have that. They've got guys who are good at one thing and they go, boy, oh boy, that's just putting well. No, that probably there's just easy, there's no easy way out of it for this team either. This, this there's there is no way out. They're um, they're they are who they are, and they're locked into yeah. this for this year. But even beyond this year, you're like, well, you know, LeBron's already showing signs of, of slowing down. AD's not a guy that you're ever going to get 82 games out of. Not that you expect that in today's NBA, but even the sort of 70 game mark, I don't think you can expect you're going to get that out. And the reality is he hasn't been that good even when he has played this year. And then you've just got nothing around them anymore. So you're almost back to square one where you're just building with these two guys and, and nothing else. So even the little bits and pieces that they had, which were kind of nice players around them when they first got there, like KCP and Kuzma, uh, they don't have that anymore. So when, when Stanley Johnson's your third yeah. player does, something's gone horribly wrong. Yeah, with yeah. There in dirty, dirty little secret. Anthony Davis hasn't been. Anthony Davis is only an all-star based on reputation. Dirty little secret. He's not been very good since the bubble, right? He barely oh. played last year, right? And his scoring's down. His shooting is gone. Das. He, right? His three-point shooting was career about thirty-three percent, right? For four or five years. Well, he shot very well in the bubble, and and that was sort of one of the things he got for a week, two before. weeks. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. He got hot for a few weeks. 26 percent from three last year, and eighteen percent from three this year. That's that's officially broken. That's and like no rest. one. And notice that no one criticizes him for shooting threes the way they criticize Giannis Nembhi. Now maybe it's because he was a good three point shooter at one once upon a time. But he wasn't never. His top was ever thirty four percent. I guess it's 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 because his his jumper looks good. Because the, that's yeah, what it that's is. That's it's it's art. Point. It's not like yeah. uh, you know the, the sort of dry heave set the music. Um, <laughs> the way Giannis was, yeah. So yeah, Giannis uh, twenty eight percent this year, so not exactly a maestro. Hey, that's that's <laughs> what is that? That's nearly nearly ten percent better than Davis. Yeah, ten percent better. But, um, and I mean, Embiid. That's where Embiid's really, really shone. 
Um, well, not so much Sean, but he, he's improved in that area. Look, Daz, let, let's move on to some more positive things. I want to give you one player that I just love watching. There's a guy we talk about a lot of times, but guys that I guess we love to watch and, and you go, just don't take this guy for granted. And that's Nikola Jokic. It, the more I see this guy, the more he just amazes me. Uh, he just, he pulled a pass out the other day in the game I watched, uh, it might have been last week, it might have been the week before against the Jazz. And you thought, oh, the Jazz who were struggling themselves, Donovan Mitchell's had a concussion. He's been out for well over a week now. They haven't won a game without him. So they're really struggling all of a sudden, the Jazz. But he pulls out this past as they come and doubled him. And how he even saw that the guy was open over in the corners, Will Barton. And Barton hadn't sort of knocked a shot there in all game. He finally got this one to go. And I just thought, we just haven't seen a big guy play the way he plays ever before and ever since. And that's, that's what I love about the NBA when you're just seeing guys that, that you just go, as human beings, we can't see anyone do those sort of things, um, you know, on a basketball court or in sport in general. So I just think that's why I love watching the Nuggets, even though they haven't been as good this year on a win-loss point of view. Jokic is worth watching every single night that you turn on the NBA. It is, it's a one-man symphony. It is art, isn't it? It's poetry. It's 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 like if Lamelo had maturity, right? It is. Hmm. I, I, I'm just gonna. It is artistic, Daz. I mean, to say he who's who they just they eviscerated the Bucks today with Giannis, Drew, and Middleton. Oh no, one hundred and thirty one thirty six to one hundred, and it wasn't that close. <laughs> the Bucks were just played base defense. They were like letting this. They they were refusing to double Jokic, right? Which is fascinating. To basically let him make any pass he wanted, and he could just he was a savant. Yeah, it's just okay. You're not going to double me and just let me see over everyone. Okay, here we go. Bing, bing, bing. Bucket, bucket, bucket. Yeah, that's the I, only I, way you no, just double him I'm, and hope other guys miss. That's the only yeah, that's it. You do against him. Just annoy him. Yeah, just annoy him. Be hang drape on him, and you have a guy in front, and a guy in back, and just give him no space. And nope, it absolutely picked apart. So. Um, Yes, everything you just said. Yes, it's art. Um, I was saying a couple of weeks ago, if you're if you're struggling for for action one night, you know, you're going to see um, it still actually is happening. Your highest quality NBA basketball game will always be from the Phoenix Suns. That's still happening because they just forgot how to lose, Daz. Um, and we see beautiful artistic moments from guys like Lamelo. But I think we're looking at the MVP again, aren't we? In Jokic. Um, Embiid oh, will have a great It's going to be hard to go past. I mean, Embiid, I, I think it's him and Embiid, but Giannis, yeah, I still think the Bucks aren't winning games, though, Daz. They're going to, he's going to be held to a different standard, right? The Bucks right. go the Bucks 48, really 34. He's a one or two seed, I think, for Giannis. Yeah, yeah. I think they'll yep. overlook Jokic and, and Embiid given the circumstances. But I mean, the Bucks, I haven't watched them, Daz, so I don't know what's going on. Don't. They seem it's to not, it's not nice, Daz. No. Uh, it, it, look, there's people doing it. Look, they've missed, I think the big three have only played, I think now 24 games together. So about half the season. And there's something like 20 and four. They got absolutely bombed today or 20 and five, something like that. But um, but that's not really an excuse, right? I think they're tired. They look tired. 
Um, they just well, also tired, these two. They just their effort just just completely goes away. Like it just they just stop some nights. Um, well, I'll but, be stunned if they win this title without Brook Lopez. Absolutely stunned. Yeah, um, I, I think you're seeing that so as well, much. right? Yeah, he does so much for that. For obviously the defense for Giannis to play. Well, he's such a smart player. Four and five. Just, yeah. Watch the Bucks now, and it just doesn't make as much sense. At times, you see the Giannis at center, and you go, "Yep, Giannis is a superstar. Obviously, you know." the best, one of the best sort of three or four players in the league, if not the best, depending on how you want to argue that. But just when when that Bucks defense particularly was going with Brook there, he's such a smart player and he knows where to be at all times. And he just comes out of nowhere. I mean, that, that sort of the iconic block that he had uh, in, in the series against the Nets, you remember. You know, just plays like that, that he would yeah. come in and just... That, and that's what he'd do. You, you look back on that player front, Daz. I mean, Brook Lopez was having those three or four big plays every game. And you look around that Bucks team there and you think, I don't see... Yeah, it's certainly not going to be Boogie Cousins doing that. That was a nice little story there with Boogie. But um, I just don't see, um, yeah, who's who's going to fill that void. And I think it's a bigger void than people probably give it credit for there in Milwaukee. Yeah, look, and Portis is a nice player. He Portis is a really good NBA player, right? He's averaging 15 and 10 on only 28 minutes a night on really good efficiency. Like he's shooting 40% from three again this year. So Portis is a really good NBA player, but he's not going to be mistaken for a defensive player, let alone Brooke Lopez. And that's where that's where the Bucks identity, right, um, was forged, was you know, elite, elite defense. Right with with Drew Giannis and, and Brooke as the as the backbone of it, um, and they just you're right that that has there's a lot of advantages to Giannis playing the five right you can get all the shooting on the floor like a Portis with you know a Middleton Holiday etc and insert a two but it, the trade off is significantly on defense yeah and your point though right he, Lopez is a glue guy he's a guy very very smart very unselfish kind of glue guy. And you just wonder what those kind of intangibles also that go away, the communication, the spacing, um, the toll on Giannis's body playing the five, et cetera. Uh, you know, that, that is definitely a loss. But look, that being said, right, the, I think there's, um, I, I think these guys, I just, it's hard not to look at, because Middleton and, and Holiday in particular have missed a bunch of time this year. It's hard not to kind of go, hmm, the title plus the Olympics plus the short off season just, you know, much the same story would have heard about Miami and, and LA last year, right? Where Miami bowed out in the first round against the Bucks last year. Yeah. Mm. So I, th- I think there's probably some validity to the fatigue and there's probably no team in the league. And they've also played the most number of games in the, in the league as well. Seem to have two or three more games played than the entire Eastern Conference at one point does. Um, so there's no team is going to benefit more from eight, nine days off in February than Milwaukee. So I got, that's the thing where, that's where I think we start you start worrying about the Bucks' validity as a as a threat is that they come back from the All Star game and still look like this, then I think you kind of go, okay, it's maybe just not their year. But I still hold out. Right? That team gets their shit together. They got the, the hardest schedule in the league left in the season. They got the number one most difficult schedule, which I think is good. I think they need to play hard in in March, and and kind of get ready for a playoff run. So, but troubling signs if Brook doesn't come back. That's for sure. Mm. And last thing I want to talk about in terms of Livingston moments 
if you get a chance to watch a close Orlando game, Daz, and there hasn't been a lot this year, they've they've been in the in the doldrums. I think they've now won twelve games. But Franz Wagner is he just morphs into a different player when it's a close game for whatever reason. And he's had some spectacular plays down the stretch. Did it again today against the, the Mavericks, just having a sort of ho-hum game. And then if the game gets close, it's just like, look out. He, this guy's dunking on people, hitting threes, hitting big shots. And he just, I'm going to be interested to see how he develops from there because of, you know, it's it's hard to sort of think of a guy that's sort of quiet, 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 and then just explodes in the fourth quarter over the years. Is this guy going to be a guy that really kicks on and is able to do these sort of spectacular things through four quarters? Uh, or is he just a guy that likes the big moment? I'm, I'm, he's a really fascinating rookie to actually watch. And it's a good story for Orlando because I'll tell you, Jalen Suggs has been an absolute disaster to this point in his career. Um, very early days, obviously. Well, but uh, they, just, they have to be worried about his, his development. It's funny you say that about Wagner. I'm glad you did, because I sort of think about this franchise as the most, one of the most easily forgettable franchises, right? Is that you kind of go, you know, they got the flashy Victor Oladipo, which is, is he number two or three in the draft? And then Aaron Gordon, this mega, mega athlete. And then they Super Mario Hazonia, right? Like, oh my God, Oladipo, Gordon, Hazonia. And like, you know, uh, they all flame out in, in various injury problems um, and trades, etc. And then they get Sabonis and then ship him off, right? Um, and then Jonathan Isaac blows a knee. Mo Bamba hasn't developed, right? And then they get, as you said, Suggs, the latest, you know, top of the lottery pick who doesn't really seem to be, uh, he seems to be certainly not anywhere near Cole Anthony level. But and for all those names, right? The ones who are going to stand out are the number 15 pick from last year, Cole Anthony, and right, the, the forgotten second lottery pick, Franz Wagner, Wagner this year. So maybe it is you do need 10 bites of the apple, Daz, to get some NBA players. But yeah, um, it's nice to see glimmers of hope in Orlando. You know, my, my former Bucks front office is down there collecting tall, injured men um, the way they did in Milwaukee as well. But um, yeah, he's a, he's a character as well. He's a, I think, I think having a guy like that with the fire in his belly, just high effort, pretty good, un, almost underrated athleticism as well, Wagner. Like he'll get after it. Um, mm. It's just fun. To, it's fun to see. And you're right. There's not much to cheer about. And I, I think it's a stretch to say, I'm going to ever watch a full magic game, but I think, yeah, if it, the game is close, um, that's the guy to stare at and follow. The game is close, exactly. Look, watch him, watch him very closely. Uh, a couple of other rookies to watch. Kay Cunningham's finally putting up some numbers in in Detroit, and they've won a couple of games as well recently. Uh, so that that's good signs for that franchise. Houston are a joke. Oh, don't ever watch Houston. Just wipe them off. They, I mean, yeah. even the games, the games they win, they only win because they bomb. Like they they might shoot twenty five or fifty from three. Like that's just the term that yeah. goes out there, and they're not playing basketball. I don't know what sport they're playing, but it's, it doesn't look like anything that resembles basketball. The mean, if Kevin Porter Jr. gets hot, they might get a win uh, every now and again. And um, you know, uh, Jalen Young's not really learning anything uh, in that system. I can't see how any player could develop um, the way they're playing there. It's just an absolute shit show uh, in Houston. Uh, oh, sorry, Jalen Green. I said Jalen Young. Um, yeah, yeah. 
But now, the final question, I've got a question about notice, Daz. This is the final point I want to leave with tonight. This is something that I, I, I think you might be able to add something to because I was, I was thinking about the Grizzlies when we talked about the Grizzlies before and the fact that they bought Stephen Adams in uh, and you know, we sort of outside looking in thought, that's a strange move. I would have probably preferred to keep Valentinus than Adams, but Adams has worked there. How important do you think it is to keep, and I think San Antonio sort of, dealing with this at the moment coming towards the end of the Popovich era. How important do you think it is for NBA franchises to keep intellectual property from a guy like John Hollinger, who would have no doubt set up so many different systems, I would think, in that organisation for them to get the decision-making right? Now, it sort of goes without saying it's very important, but I guess how do you think they should go about it and how difficult is it to get to get those sort of things to, to have longevity beyond when a guy moves on and moves back into his media career like Hollinger's done? That is a great question. Look, the, the answer has to be all about um, the succession planning, right? And, you know, when you leave IP, did you leave, um, you know, the, the, the mechanisms, right? You know, John Hollinger literally invented or created the concept of PER, so quite advanced in his thinking. Like, did you leave, you know, an, an analytical engine? Um, that's one question. But then did you leave, more importantly, groups of people who could help make decisions off of it? Not just to make decisions or find insights or find new patterns, but then have the ability to influence, right? The, the right conversations with the coaching staff and the player development people to implement the solutions, right? Or medical people. So that for me is that, that's the big question is that to what extent did he leave behind an infrastructure like um, people systems and communications and relationships? And was there trust building between that had been built up between the departments? And it was just kind of, um, you know, uh, business as usual when he left or did Zach Kleiman come in and build something, you know, um, quite unique? So um, that for me is the big question is just how much of a succession plan um, did they have from, from Hollinger to was Chris Wallace and then and Kleiman, if I'm not mistaken. So that's the really big question is how, how, how was that handled? But um, mm. you're, on, I mean, must you're be, onto something here though. Well, they exactly, they must be, doing, you look at it and you go, this is a team that never misses in the draft seemingly, certainly not for the last you know, four or five years. When you're getting guys like him, even though Bain, we saw the joke was with the Celtics, essentially, he went straight to Memphis. So they obviously saw something in him from that point. You know, Xavier Tillman's been good. Uh, you know, um, Williams is it that's, that's been really good. Ja Morant as, as the number two pick, although that was probably a bit more of an easy one. Brandon Clarksburg, was, you know, you just sort of go on and on down the line and they keep getting it right. And then you think, my goodness, you know, Hollinger, a guy like Hollinger leaves, is it all going to fall apart? And I think San Antonio are asking that question now. What, what's going to happen when Popovich walks away and have yeah. the systems and the structures in place for it not to just all fall apart? And I mean, Popovich has sort of stepped back from a lot of the decision-making than he was back in the, the, the sort of championship years. But I think it's it's an interesting question. And maybe even when we look at back at Boston earlier, like what did Boston keep from the Danny Ainge era? you know, of, of decision-making and the systems and things like that that were put into place. Do you just throw the baby out with the bar for it and say, we're going to start again? I don't think that's the right way to go. So it, it is one of the challenges, isn't it? 
with with an MBA or with any sort of organisation, but particularly within the MBA as well. Yeah, yeah, it is, and that's you know we talk a lot about ownership being a great competitive advantage, which is kind of very well understood now. But that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about the the handovers between you know staff changes in the front offices, particularly basketball operations, and yeah, and just what passes for decision making. Um, it does turn out it happens to be I'm just doing some quick research. A Kleiman was hired under Hollinger, under Hollinger's watch. And so he's grown up to the ranks. How, I don't realize how young Zach Kleiman is. He was born in 1988. How old does that make him? 30. Uh, 34. 30. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's awesome. What, am I, what the hell am I doing? Well, John Hollinger's my age. That makes me feel pretty good. He's all right still. But um, but no, that's it's a really interesting notion. Um, whether that's, yeah, I guess we'll find out. Like how many successions that'd be really that'd be really interesting research. How many long tenured coaches who handpick a successor, what that looks like in terms of you know their career arcs. And so obviously Pop has sent got probably one of the biggest coaching trees in the NBA. Doesn't need to have so many of his best um, have have gone on to, to you know to great things, i.e. Borrego. Budenholzer, et cetera. But um, yeah, that will be interesting to see what happens down there. Or um, yeah, I like that question, Des. I wish I had better answers for you, but I, there is something there is something to that. And probably a, I wonder if that's the next level analysis for um, the world of basketball fans who's in the last five to 10 years, it seems has been suddenly very analytics um, savvy, or at least conversant. And we now love to understand the salary cap and BGMs. You wonder what's next, right? Is the is it actually the fabric of, you know, who's in these departments? And well, exactly. We're, I mean, I think we're, because, we're tracking LinkedIn job boards to see. Well, it's not, it's not and, that silly. I mean, we, you know, like Mark Cuban said years ago, you know, forget sports analytics. He said, I want people now around me that understand the CBA. You know and understand the salary cap and i think we're now moving beyond that and it may be someone is you know and it sounds simple but as you well know it's not simple that understands organizational structures succession planning things like this i mean you look at the denver nuggets the denver nuggets are another team that always seem to get it right in the draft always seem to make the right decision there look occasionally you know they'll take a risk on a guy like porter jr that doesn't look like it's going to pay off that might very well blow up in their face, but they generally have been making the right decisions and taking calculated risks. And you go right back to Messiah Jury was was there. Did he set up the right sort of systems and processes? Mm, That's yeah. been taking on since there, and we know how much success he's had in Toronto as well. These are the things, and you look at Sacramento, who seemed to change, and Velo Divac goes out and everything goes to the, by the wayside with that, and it's just like, they're not sort of building any sort of systems, any sort of structures, any sort of culture within that organisation that can carry on from one era to the next. Um, so I think that that's one of the challenging things that might be something that we continue to keep an eye on and, and continue to think about as, as the NBA goes on. I think it's a really, really neat observation. I, I probably need to do some more thinking on it, but yeah, that's a really, really good notion, this continuity Kind of loosely we talk about it, especially in this last COVID affected years where continuity one would think has got quite an advantage on the court but certainly off the court as well it's a really good point that if you don't churn can you actually just continuously improve and gain, gain intelligence rather than this human notion right to go 
I've been hired, so let me throw everything out. Um, so we've got a live example going on with, with you know, plenty of new coaches every year. So it's always fun to see. Well, I'll tell you too, you know, one final point, and I know Memphis view their organization this way. They don't just look at their organization is, you know, the basketball analytics people and the coaching staff and the players, et cetera. They, they look at their, their organization as right down to the vendors that are in the stadiums and stakeholders that you have in and around the stadium area um, as part of the basketball sort of setup. So they're making decisions with those stakeholders in mind as well, which is one of the reasons they didn't go into a sort of multi-year tank. So I think they're the sort of things too that can sort of factor into what makes a successful organisation and who's buying into the... Because I think, yeah, you've said it yourself, Dad, fan base and, and sort of community engagement, things like that, that actually is, is important, particularly for some of these smaller market teams. Yeah, it absolutely is. And yeah, we'll see, like, like going back, back to the beginning, kind of where we began is I'm, I'm, more, I'm very curious about how the Celtics treat Brad Stevens, who let's say has had a very wobbly first year and, you know, um, but a lot of continuity, right? And I, he even has an ownership stake, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't he, Daz, if I've got that right, right? So he and Danny were together for, what, seven, eight seasons? Mm. Now they're in kind of, they're in a real crisis is a wrong, wrong phrase, but they got some major forks in the road. So we'll see. We'll see what sort of intelligence sits inside Boston vis-a-vis Dallas, who kind of throws everything out. And here you got Jason Kidd or Indiana who threw out everything. And they got some growing pains with, you know, with the discontent coming from Sabonis and, and Turner about, you know, Carlisle sort of system. And so, yeah, you just, it's, it's interesting. You wonder if there's going to be a, um, in an era where we just love to churn so quick, you wonder if there's going to be a flight towards, you know, keeping things the same and, and building some continuity in the world that seems to be shorter and shorter attention span. But um, mm. yeah, that's a really, uh, it's a good ponderance, Daz. It's a good ponderance. All right, Daz, well, look, before we leave, there's a couple of uh, games. I'll, I'll give you some homework for next week before we talk, and we might get, dig more into the trade deadlines or the chatter as well. We might, Who knows? We might even have a trade or two uh, this time next week. We didn't look at All-Star either, but I'm not... All-Star is one of the least interesting things for me to talk about. Um, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll look at that in a bit more depth next week. But look, some really interesting games tomorrow. We've got Sixers and the, the Grizzlies. And the Hawks-Raptors is one I'm going to be really interested in seeing because the Hawks and the Raptors have both been in really good form there in the Eastern Conference. And then if you look down a bit further on in the week, you've got the Suns and the Nets. Uh, that's in Phoenix. So Kyrie will be playing that game. Um, and I'm just trying to see if your Bucks does are in any interesting games in the next week uh, that I know you'll Even be... The... Wizards, no, not interesting. Decidedly not interesting. <laughs> uh, the Raptors and the Hawks, by the way, play twice in the next week, so that's going to be a good one. We might we might watch that one quite close. Celtics Heat tomorrow, right? That's a good one. Then Heat Raptors the day after that. So there's some interesting stuff in the middle of the East happening here before the All Star break. And um, yeah, I just can't help but see. You know, there's a lot of train wrecks as well. <laughs> Like yeah, the train wrecks. Laker, Laker, Lakers, Blazers. Let's not. Maybe let's not. <laughs> let's maybe not. Yeah, there's a lot of slow forming sort of uh, train wrecks. Uh, the Kings have been honestly. The Kings are so bad. It's just 
they they what, what, how much did they they 158 I think it was the other week that they can see they lost by 70 um, and Nate Duncan had a funny tweet as he said uh, that that they had another really bad loss and they and he said uh, oh this would be one of the worst losses of Alvin Gentry's last four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Gentry. So you wanted to be an NBA coach. Oh, dear. Well, who'd have thought, the, who'd have thought the Pelicans gig would have been a good one? Well, the problem for Gentry is, is that there's not many too many other teams. I mean, I think you'll always get the job as an assistant, but uh, I'm not sure yeah. there's too many other teams yeah. will take a pun on you as a as a head coach. So, all right, Dad, well, we'll leave it there, mate. Thanks for joining me again tonight, and uh, hopefully we'll catch some of those games um, and uh, have plenty to talk about. And as I said, maybe even a trade or two uh, next week to have a yeah. look at. Let's hope. And we've got to try and find a way not to end on poor Elvin Gentry next time. That's a that's a funny bookend. But um, <laughs> yeah, good stuff, mate. All right, have mate. a good week, pal. Thanks. Take mate. care. Soon. Bye. Bye. Took the charge, and there was no foul call.